There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Before we start today's episode, I want to apologize for the sound issues we had. We're still learning and I'm afraid when we recorded this episode, there is a little bit of interference, but the episode is brilliant. So I do hope you'll bear with us. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. Trauma is a word none of us want to hear associated with birth. And yet, if we're being truly honest, it often is. We're told to expect a rush of love. The idea is that our world is complete when our children are born. But sometimes, if the plan doesn't go to plan, instead of feeling on top of the world, we're frightened, fearful and embark on our journey as parents feeling traumatised rather than blessed. I'm a big advocate of positivity around birth. The likelihood is that all will be fine and we'll be left with a healthy baby, even if we do have to cope with sleep deprivation. But that's not always the case, which is why we need to talk about it. We need to arm parents with the tools to deal with a traumatic experience. But we also need to give wider society understanding and information so that we can support our friends and family who might have experienced trauma. My guest today has experienced this firsthand. Jessica Hatcher-Moore was expecting the kind of straightforward birth she had with her first child as she awaited the arrival of her second. Her son ended up needing resuscitation, followed by treatment in the NICU. And while she was relieved to take a healthy baby home after a hospital stay, she only realised a few weeks later how this traumatic birth experience was affecting her emotionally. Jessica, thank you so much for joining me today. You are also the author of a book uh, which advocates um, well, advocates looking after women as opposed to babies, uh, ju- just babies in the aftermath of birth. And I think this idea of how birth trauma can affect the mother is really, really important because obviously your son was, you know, treated in hospital. Is he okay? It's all about them. But very often the mothers who have these very evolved brains are very worried, are the ones that are sort of left with no support whatsoever um, after the birth of the child. And, you know, I think this is a really interesting um, idea. How, how, I mean, obviously it was so distressing for you and probably in the sort of very beginning, you were very concerned about your child and really all you wanted was for your child to be okay. But how soon afterwards did you realise that actually the experience of a traumatic birth might well be affecting you? Um, I think immediately afterwards, I was fine. I was I was sort of super humanly strong. Um, and I think you do that often if you've gone through a difficult experience, you've got to deal with just got to get through the next few hurdles and particular in particular because he was in hospital so I needed to be strong I had a toddler at home who well who 
who was with my mum and dad and so um and logistically there was just so much going on there was such a lot of information to take in in the hospital so there wasn't really an option for me to crumble in any way um and uh and I had also I'd also just written this book about um all the things you can do to look after yourself when you have after you have a baby and um and how we do need to look out for ourselves in those first weeks months etc um as much as the baby and and so I I like felt like I had to follow my own advice otherwise it would be hypocritical so um initially I was really being very conscientious about like trying to make sure I ate well which in a hospital in this country is not terribly easy it was all beige food um and I was like yeah trying to ensure I got enough sleep and go for walks outside around the hospital car park because it was in the middle of nowhere um like I was really conscientious about looking after myself and I was fine and it wasn't it was actually probably about four five weeks later and well so I I had the baby at home in in our bedroom on the bedroom floor on the bed and um he then and the midwives were late to arrive and they sort of ran in having got lost on the way just before he was born and um then he didn't breathe and so they were resuscitating him on the bedroom floor and I was like still in the birthing position on my hands and knees on the bed watching this and um uh and it because this was then the bedroom I returned to and bless him my husband had like done everything put fresh flowers in there and made it all lovely when I went home but it was still uh, the place where this event had taken had happened and um so I found at night I would often my head would go back to what had happened and um I'd get stuck on memories um I wasn't sleeping very well and then I started having nightmares which were this bizarre mashup of like what had uh, sort of aspects of the birth um usually symbolized with something strange like I don't know having a baby's finger in a plastic Ziploc bag, like really specific, strange, weird, dark things. Um, but then in the context, then they would, it would be a mashup of that. And um, my time in East Africa before this, I, I lived in Nairobi and I worked as a foreign correspondent. So I covered the region and it's quite a, in various countries where I worked a lot are quite troubled um, and I experienced some difficult things there. And so these dreams, and I think tra- trauma is so weird and unpredictable and absolutely unique to everyone. But um, I think it does tend to kind of burrow through your brain and attach itself to the other aspects of your life that may be uncomfortable. Um, uh, self-conscious is the most extraordinary thing. I mean, I often have re- really bizarre dreams and I think, how on earth did my brain come up with that? Yeah, yeah, really and that in weird. Itself is really traumatic. There's the sort of trauma of experiencing the dream, or the or the thought, or the flashbacks. But then there's also that sort of trauma of like, how did my brain even come up with this yeah. scenario? <laughs> exactly. And so there were these really strange scenarios that often I I don't know involve my husband's a photographer and he'd be in there and I'd do something wrong and like he'd lose a camera because of something I'd done and then I'd have this baby's finger and I was like oh my goodness this is this is ridiculous and and um and they 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 were like not every night and it wasn't to the point I I didn't get to the point where I was like scared to sleep um because I think it can it can be really really difficult um but yeah I felt like it was not going away 
um, or not resolving as quickly as I'd like it to. Um, and because I think the NHS does recommend a wait and see approach. So don't don't rush to immediately think that, oh, God, I've got PTSD from this experience. Um, so do you think that was partly because they realised that there was a little bit of culpability on their behalf in this situation? And yeah, well, so that's actually generic advice. I wasn't told that. Um specifically the generic advice is like just give it a couple of months wait and see if it resolves but I felt because I, I know myself um I felt like it was getting a bit more complex and that those memories the memories that I had relating to the birth weren't going away um and, sorry just to interrupt what point during you know in the postnatal process was this a week or two weeks or was it months after the birth this was about uh six weeks after yeah um, and about six weeks after, I felt like it wasn't getting better. Um, and I also, it was also like unique to me because I knew that at some point I'd have to write about what had happened probably and probably have to talk about it as well. And so I, uh, and also it was, it was the pandemic and no, you weren't having in-person appointments with anyone. Um, so like the six week check with a doctor at that point, I was like, right, I'm going to really try and tackle this but my six-week check was a six-minute phone call on with a nurse who kind of tagged on at the end oh so you haven't got any postnatal depression then that's great and just it was all very it was very perfunctory there was nothing um that scratched the surface and she hadn't read my notes beforehand and I, I found I kept having to kind of repeat on the phone what had happened to my baby and each time I was like I just this is painful I don't want to keep having to go through like to go through this and finding it so difficult and the GPs weren't interested in giving me an appointment in person I asked for it um and I yeah I just I felt at that point that I just I wanted somehow to address it I think yeah and so how did you go about doing that if your GP wasn't that sort of open to the idea of it or even having a, a face-to-face yeah so um initially I was like right I'm going to give the NHS the best chance to to help me because like they do the doctors and nurses and midwives in this country they want to help I think they just don't have a lot of them don't have the resources they need um and all the training um and so on the phone to the nurse during my six-week check I explained that I was having um PTSD symptoms essentially um, with the nightmares and recurrent kind of flashbacks of what had happened. Um, and uh, she wasn't sure what to do. I asked if I could then speak to, to speak to a doctor about it. Um, and then so she, then I went back on the triage list, and a, but a nurse called me back again and she suggested that I call a local charity for mums who'd had stillborns and this like it's just not appropriate it wasn't what I needed it wasn't right um to go cold calling a charity for for women who've had a, a very different experience and um so and I think the the nurse on the phone also sort of slightly dismissed what I was going through by saying oh listen honestly like my baby was born really prematurely at home and he's absolutely fine now so just don't worry it'll be it'll be fine and that to me was just like it wasn't acknowledging my particular situation so at that point acknowledging the idea that different people can have the same experience but interpret it differently because we're all different and unique individuals yeah exactly 
and and I felt quite let down at that point but I kind of I'd slightly come to expect it because I don't know I just think the after my first baby I might like mentally I was in great shape because I had a really positive birth but um physically I needed some support which I didn't get so I'd kind of felt I I was expecting not to get much support not to get the support I needed which is really sad um and then so one of the other things I kind of advocate in the book is that if basically uh, if our healthcare system is not in a place where it can give us the support we need as new mums um, and in most parts of the country I don't think it is um, then like it's we need to think about um, investing in ourselves at this point um, because it's important and like there was a study that found on average we spend £10,000 in preparation for a first child and in their first year of life and that includes a bit of childcare costs but like a lot of that is on buggies and gear and um, setting up a nursery and like that's an enormous amount of money and if we can try to divert a bit or I don't know get your husband to make some savings and spend it on yourself um to on your health basically to ensure that it's in good shape um then that's what you need to do and so I was I having again (laughs) talked about that and discussed it in the book I was ready to to invest some money in my own mental health if I needed to to feel good again um and or I was supposed to feel in control or to feel safe and um and so I uh had a therapist and she basically took me through a treatment called EMDR which is um uh it allows the the difficult memory um, gets stuck essentially in your amygdala, which is the part of the brain which deals with like fight or flight response. It's your alarm system. Um, and what the memory needs to do is to process from that side of your brain into the side that's um, where your long-term memories just sit naturally and are not stressful um, into your hippocampus. And so this treatment literally, like you kind of re slightly relive what happened to you in a very safe space though with a therapist um supporting you and guiding you and kind of taking you out of the uh, traumatic memory quite regularly to check that you're okay and but you essentially sit there and quietly um go through it in your brain and allow yourself to feel what you felt at the time and explore that feeling and um why you felt that way um and then you kind of rationalize it and and at the same time, the you're you're basically moving your eyes left and right, or tapping left and right, because they're like we're such incredibly mechanical things. Like it by this left right movement allows the memory to process from one side of the brain, which is the emotional negative side, into the rational grown up side. Um, and uh, and once it's processed, you like you've still got the memory; it's still a part of you, but it's no longer traumatic, essentially. Um, and it sounds really kooky but um it is incredibly helpful um it's proven to work um it's one of the nice recommended treatment methods and the the other thing that they recommend is um uh, cbt but trauma focused cbt um if you have uh, symptoms of ptsd but um and that but that's very similar it's basically going going through what happened um in a safe way where you feel safe basically and allowing yourself to explore it rationalize it and put it into that more um I suppose grown up part of your brain where it's okay um so I did this and um it 
I mean, it cost me a few sessions with a therapist, but I think that's um, a small price to pay to to have really like really feel like I've processed it and I'm okay with it. Um, did you notice an improvement immediately after the first yeah. session? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I um, I did a couple of sessions of I think it was one, maybe two sessions beforehand where we talked about it, talked about previous trauma in my life because like what you said about the subconscious being so extraordinary like if you have a traumatic event it's probably somehow linked to other things in your life so you have to explore it first and do a bit of like preparatory work um with the therapist and then um and then this one hour was all it was and we sat there largely in silence with me like often sobbing um as I relived um what had happened and afterwards I felt really raw, um, emotionally raw, but equally uh, it felt like it had sort of drained clear of my body that the, uh, yeah, the emotional traumatic aspects of it had gone. Yeah, absolutely. And did the, you know, did it sort of manifest itself kind of in in your sleep immediately? Did were you able to sort of sleep a bit better? And did those sort of uh, flashbacks and those night night terrors and night traumas did they stop? Yeah. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, I don't think I've had any since. Um, and, and actually, as a kind of exercise before this, I looked through the photographs that um, I've got from those early days in hospital and... Um, and also, like I say, my husband's a photographer, so he was he was documenting the whole birth, um, and and for him it was actually quite a cathartic thing to keep photographing after we ended up in hospital and stuff. So I looked through his pictures as well, and I felt like I was emotional, and like I a little bit I sort of dwelt on, I allowed myself to dwell on something, and like I welled up a little bit, and like it's not that I it's not that I don't have any emotions about it anymore, but equally I was able to look at them and uh engage with them with in a, in a healthy way I think yeah absolutely to see something that happened but also understand that your baby's healthy now and you can move on from that exactly because I think that's part of the problem that people or like the platitudes that we offer up to women who've had a difficult birth like oh but at least your babies you've got a healthy baby or like you've, you've had a miscarriage oh at least you know you can get pregnant so yes th- those things are true and I you're, you're generally quite aware of them like yes I'm a, I'm, hap- I'm happy that my baby is in good care in the hospital but equally I think we need to give women space to feel the other side as well like yes you can you can be happy that your baby's um getting great care and you're I don't know is going to be okay 
um, and you can feel really traumatized or um, like you've had a really difficult experience. Like those two things can coexist and we need to like make space for that. Well, and often, you know, people feel really guilty that they don't feel so happy. Like everyone's telling them how lucky they are and how happy they should feel, but they don't. And actually the fact that everyone's expecting them to do this kind of almost makes it harder, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Um, And I think, uh, yeah, the pressure to bond with your baby um, immediately is something that of the people I interviewed for the book, loads of people spoke about that and how the the guilt they felt and like just not feeling that instant connection. And, um, and again, that this, in my experience, that prepared me really well, actually, because it meant that um, I don't know when uh, our little boy was in the uh, he was in with the doctors um, and we my husband and I this was like hours after the birth and we hadn't seen him because like we didn't have a COVID test the positive COVID test and the lab was shut and it was like six hours and we hadn't seen our baby and someone came, someone came in and offered to bring me a photo to take my phone and bring me a photograph of him and I said oh yeah thanks that would be great um, and she disappeared she came back with these awful pictures of like a livid just awful to be distressed looking baby and was like here's your baby I was like oh um and and I I just I didn't uh, it's almost like I didn't want to engage with him at the time because I was like this isn't my baby like, I don't I don't want this to be my baby but I also because of I guess like because of the interviews and the work I'd done around it I didn't allow myself to to feel stressed by that or guilty about that I kind of I I could sit with that and say okay that's just how it is right now like it's uh, and similarly later on um I didn't worry too much about I don't know feeling missing out on those first three days of skin to skin time for example because there's so much pressure on skin to skin time and like what about all the mums who don't get skin to skin time because their baby's in the NICU or whatever like it's okay that that relationship is not going to suffer as a result of that um absolutely absolutely and I think this feeds into you know the argument that I think women will really benefit from a more honest conversation around birth you know typically what happens is that people say being a mother is amazing birth is the most empowering thing and yes it can be painful um but it's going to be amazing and I believe fiercely in telling people how it is because much better to get the message that it can be traumatic because then if it is you know that that's relatively normal and you can do something about it and you know you obviously had just written a book you'd explored the importance of nurturing the mother and meeting the mother's needs after birth so you were obviously very well positioned to be able to recognize that you absolutely needed to do something for your mental health for your baby's sake but you know women who's been to you know no antenatal class or an antenatal class that's just sort of you know said oh skin to skin's really important is then going to be totally lost because the plan didn't go to plan and, and then what yeah, and I, I think um, it's now it's time for those really honest conversations and to say it like it is, in part because there is so much help available. And like whatever does go wrong, um, or however you are left afterwards, whether it's physical or mental healing, like there's a lot of support nowadays for women in those positions. And so like 
yeah, if we can talk about it more, then we can also, like, because if we don't talk about what goes wrong, then no one knows how to get support or how to access it. Yeah, um, this isn't about, you know, traumatising women in the, the kind of lead up to birth. This isn't about telling them every single horrific birth story in the sort of lead up to their birth. But it is understanding that birth is dangerous, it's probably one of the most dangerous times in our lives, which is why you have medical professionals around you, whether you're giving birth at home or in a hospital. Um but but that, you know, crucially, things can be done if you do experience trauma. And it's not, you know, feeling trauma is not weakness. It's not about getting over it and sort of, you know, keep on going. Um, it's about understanding if this is affecting you and recognising that, there, you know, sometimes you do need to fight to have some some care and some help. Yeah, exactly. And you need to fight. And then it also really helps to inform those around you, your partner or your family, um, because, to get help it is often a bit of a fight and if you're not in the best position to fight for it then they need to help you too how honest were you with those around you your your husband your parents your family your friends about this trauma and its impact on your life while you know before you sought treatment um i was really honest with my husband throughout um <clears throat> i think um we yeah he he or he helps me to talk um and he did continue to do that and he was always there with I don't know we had um conversations with um my local midwife who I knew very well um she was incredibly supportive she hadn't been um she hadn't been at the birth but but he my husband sat through all of those appointments and with the consultants at the hospital and stuff and um so he knew exactly what was going on um and he was always ready to support whatever I wanted to do um it's interesting I was talking to a friend whose daughter has um gone through something similar and she was saying that her daughter hadn't sort of spoken to her about it and was that okay um and I said actually I didn't talk to my mum either about exactly what sort of what had gone on or what was going on with my head I think she was concerned for me um but I think there's something about our mums that can make you feel very vulnerable and teary and um uh, and take you back to feeling like a little girl and um I think I didn't want that somehow I wanted I had um yeah like I said I talked to my husband at length I talked to the midwives um and um I had a kind of a uh, review birth afterthoughts clinic a, a review basically of what had happened with another midwife and um the hospital commissioned a big review so um but yeah, on a personal level, it was mostly my husband that I spoke to and um, one other friend who'd had a baby in the NICU and who I knew would understand. Um, but I think I personally, I felt like as long as I was talking to someone, that was fine. Um, you don't need to say, you know, tell everyone the whole time. It's, you exactly. Know, like you people like your friend who who experienced similar is probably more helpful than your mother who might not say the right thing. Yeah, exactly. Might not be that helpful. Exactly. What about the hospital? You say they conducted these reviews. Was that a sort of recognition that they'd messed up and they needed to learn from these mistakes, or, or yeah, yeah? So, so we are midwives around us. Um, There were two midwives who'd not come when we'd kind of asked them to not come to the house. Basically, well. I, I don't know exactly. We're still waiting to find out what happened. Um, it's nearly a year later um, because there was a, a review 
of what what happened and why they didn't come when they should have done um but uh they afterwards i think to be honest i think they were kind of shocked they were in shock themselves because um like when you think about it from a midwife's point of view like to feel like you just i don't know you don't arrive when you should have done and then by the time you get there the baby's not doing well and you have a 10 minute wait for a hospital for an ambulance and stuff so i think they they felt bad and were in shock about what had happened um and were i don't think they were i don't know whether they were defensive or just um unwilling to it was also very soon afterwards um but i didn't hear from them again um then no 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 um I don't think so and then uh my because the trouble is because because of how it played out I was then left thinking maybe it was somehow my fault because I think that's our natural like so many of us do that um and I would replay in my head like should I have maybe if I'd sounded more in labor, maybe it was my fault for like downplaying the pain of the contractions because I personally think I have quite a high pain threshold. So when I called and said, I'm, I'm in labor, can they come please? I think there's maybe they thought, oh, she can still talk. So she can't be that much in labor. Do you know what I mean? Um, which is ridiculous. Um, and it's not my fault. Um, and so I was replaying things like that and thinking that actually maybe it was me. Um, and they, yeah, and I think if they'd told me why they didn't come or something initially or explained, that would have like relieved, meant I wasn't blaming myself for it. Um, and then, um, and then it wasn't until my, our local midwives, the ones I know really well, who um, sadly weren't on duty, they came round to the house after after we were back from the hospital, um, and they'd been. They were so sweet. They'd been following like remotely via updates from the from the labour ward what was happening with the baby. And when we got back, they were really quick to come round and see how I was. And they were the first to say like it should not have happened that way. Like the midwives should not have left it that long. And they'd been reviewing it internally. They, they, they asked me to file a complaint so that it didn't happen again. Um, and just hearing them say that their colleagues had got it wrong um, was a huge relief because I started to um, stop thinking that maybe it was me um, and my fault. Um, but yeah, I, I never got any sort of apology or, or even explanation now nearly a year later as to why they didn't come when they should have done and then um but it, then actually I so the hospital uh they did a procedure on my son they basically put in a chest drain because they thought he had a pneumothorax um so air between the cavity of the lungs and the uh, chest um and so they they put in a chest drain and then it turned out that he didn't need it um and because of that specific intervention that wasn't necessary they commissioned a full like hospital uh, review um which involved every discipline so um and this meant that we uh, they they really like went through his care really carefully to see what had happened and where it had gone wrong um and i saw the consultant uh, about six months after he was born and the consultant was just checking him it was to see how he's doing developmentally and stuff um and uh, he completely disarmed me by basically saying we got it wrong 
like he was specifically talking about the chest drain, not the midwifery care. But um, he said, like, I he held his hands up and said, I am so sorry, Jessica, I am so sorry. Um, and we shouldn't have done that. Um, and I was, yeah, I was <laughs> completely disarmed by his apology, his honesty, his compassion, um, empathy, like, um, and I wasn't expecting it I, in this like litigious society or increasingly litigious society. I think I expected them to kind of say, oh, well, we to basically defend their position. Um, but he didn't, not at all. Um, and I just, I, I found that uh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And it's such a shame. It's so interesting to hear that until, you know, you worked out that, it, you know, it, was, it really took sort of them to admit that something was wrong or someone to say this isn't right before you started blaming yourself. And that's the problem is that we're sort of told never apologize in a professional situation because you're admitting it's an admission of guilt. And yet no one, th everyone's thinking about the litigation rather than the, the impact on the people who are actually involved, who are living this, this trauma. Yeah, it's exactly. interesting that, you know, the obstetrician who was, I'm sure, going against all advice by saying, I'm so sorry for what's happened, um, was the one that actually made you feel considerably better rather than the midwives who, who were following protocol and never acknowledged the fact that they had made mistakes because I mean humans make mistakes that's yeah you know we're not AI even AI makes mistakes but <laughs> we're not we do make mistakes yeah exactly and there was a um a review published recently which found a review of our maternity system which found that if um if we had a system like they do in Sweden which is um, a non-blaming litigious system essentially so you don't pinpoint who was responsible and what they did wrong um we would I think they said we'd save a thousand lives a year um but essentially babies lives a year I mean essentially it means that um we're not learning from our mistakes because we are too busy defending like it means that doctors are too busy trying to to defend themselves um rather than explore mistakes and own up to them and then and then learn from them yeah um and in terms of, um, I mean, hopefully not too many of our listeners will experience birth trauma. I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this will have experienced birth trauma. And not everyone is necessarily traumatized by it. And then we were talking earlier, but um, when my third child, Willem, I, he was still born and it was an incredibly traumatic experience, although arguably for, for a lot of it, I was under general anesthetic. But it's still, you know, the rush to hospital. And I remember my obstetrician saying to me, you must let us know if you're experiencing flashbacks, if you're feeling sort of traumatized. And I remember sort of a bit like when you sort of poke at a scab to see if it hurts. I was sort of like, am I? Am I? And amazingly, I wasn't. I didn't. Um, and that doesn't mean that I didn't experience trauma. It just it was the way that my mind computed it. I was also very lucky to have sort of grief counseling um, and two healthy, distracting children. Um, but in terms of if someone you know, has experienced traumatic birth. What I think we need to get better at talking about this because very often support doesn't come from your professional caregivers. It comes from the conversations you have with your friends. And obviously this all happened to you over lockdown. So there weren't that many casual coffees where you could kind of pour your heart out to your friends. But what do you think in terms of, you know, society, people who care about the, the, people, the society in which they live, what can we do to maybe you know, address this to, to encourage people who need it to seek help? Yeah, so I think there's two 
two aspects of it. Like I think one thing to remember is that nothing you say as a friend is going to like make a huge difference to how they feel about it. Um, but so so don't try too hard to put a silver lining on it or avo- avoid those phrases like oh at least you've got a healthy baby or be grateful that you can get pregnant like tr- avoid those things that essentially minimize the person's experience um and i mean these apply to uh, conversations across all spheres of difficult experiences like so um and i think i like we all have to learn to have them with our toddlers like when they're crying about i don't know whatever it is getting the wrong raisin um <laughs> you, you yeah but kind of of course you're so disappointed but yes right, you know yeah. we need to learn to you know validate our feelings rather than deny them because that can exactly just be harder yeah exactly and i know avoid trying to say oh well yeah birth is always so hard isn't it it's never easy but like yes it's always hard but that doesn't mean that it needs to be traumatic like your experience of it is what matters um and so yeah recognize that um and don't don't minimize whatever they're experiencing and like if you don't know what to say say you don't know what to say and say thanks for for sharing that with me because sorry yeah i'm so sorry for you awful thing to be going through yeah and and like what can you do ask what they need how you can help um say that you're there if they if and when they want to talk um you're always there to help like my mum offered amazing practical support she would come over um after we got back from hospital and literally sit on the sofa with the baby for an hour uh while I did some work and then just drive home again and she off- she wanted nothing in in return similarly like they had our toddler when we were in hospital and so I think yeah I think practical support is huge as well and that so that's for anyone who's just given birth like if you can take a shepherd's pie over um do it um and yeah otherwise um helping people to access the support they need is also huge and and how do you do that I think it's um someone's got to be ready to to want support and they've also got to know that they want support um I think um talking to like partners as well and and making sure they're like aware of symptoms for things like if it is developing into PTSD if it's not disappearing um and this applies again this applies to everything whether it's like pelvic floor dysfunction or PTSD like if if your symptoms aren't resolving um then it may be that you need support and yeah your your partner or friend can um talk you through what options available there's so many resources online so i think and um nice the nice guidelines are the sort of starting point if you want to know how to help someone with ptsd um that's like the gold standard of what to do um but there are also loads of the birth trauma organizations are amazing um and the birth trauma association is one of them um so read look up what you can do to help and then um yeah just listen i think is a huge thing as well Um, yeah i think i think also being around being in conversation with people who've also experienced it you know when you've had a really traumatic birth and everyone in your antenatal group has had this wonderful birth and they're all merrily sipping their coffees and talking about how adorable their their babies are and you're just unable to get there that's quite an unhelpful situation to be in and I've, I found that you know social media for all the criticism that it invokes 
can actually be a really good way of being in touch with people who've experienced kind of unusual things that not everyone does, you know, whether it's it's stillbirth or miscarriage or um, sudden infant death syndrome. There's luckily not that many people in the world or even experienced kind of birth trauma on the level that you did who are really living that. And so the likelihood is that, you know, you're unlikely just to bump into someone or get chatting to someone who experienced the same thing. And actually, you know, trying to locate sort of groups um, on social media, I think that can be a really, really helpful thing. And you've got people that just acknowledge how you're feeling, echo how you're feeling. And as much as you wouldn't wish it on anyone else, it's the fact that you're not the leper in the room. It's, it's the fact that you're not the unusual one, that you're around people who totally get where you're coming from. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's also important if you're listening to someone who is talking about something or who's sharing their deepest, darkest thoughts or fears, like for that person who's speaking, um, all you really need is for the person listening to you to kind of nod and say, yes, gosh, wow. Like you and and not look appalled. Like you want to hear that you can share these things and you're not crazy. You're not, um, I don't know, do you know what I mean? To to feel like, yeah. Listen, and part of it is that we do have a really dishonest conversation around parenting, you yeah. know, which is why so many mothers end up feeling guilty because they're not loving every moment. So often, you know, in media, in films, in 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 books, you know, that the baby is the happy ending and they lived happily ever after. And so often that's simply not the case. Mothers don't always love mothers. You know, even around um miscarriage, you know, this idea that we don't tell people that we're pregnant until twelve weeks because, you know, what if we have a miscarriage? Well then that's when you need your friends and the support and the empathy more than ever. And yet this yeah. is an accepted thing. You know, don't tell anyone because otherwise you'll have, you know, it's not like it's going to be jinxed. I mean, I think we're living beyond superstition now. Um, and yet this is something that is widely accepted and widely adhered to. And actually, it wasn't really until I'd had all my children that it struck me quite how bizarre and unhelpful and anti-women and anti-feminist this whole kind of idea was. Yeah, exactly. It makes it into a dark secret that you alone should carry and conceal um and yeah I think with mine I told everyone quite early on I told anyone who I would be happy to share the fact that I'd lost had a miscarriage with um and yeah it's and it's also bizarre how many organizations just parrot that and just say oh yeah most women choose not to tell anyone until they're 12 weeks after their first scan and okay they're not saying you shouldn't but they're basically saying this is what's normal why don't you conform to this? Which it's, it's nonsensical. Um, and yeah, and that, that gap between reality, expectation and reality applies to so many things. And like for me, becoming a mother was, it was a slower transition. It didn't, doesn't happen quickly. You, you, you acclimatize over time. Um, and, and that's, I think for me, why the second one was much easier. Post, my, my postnatal experience with the second one was like seamless. It's been great once we got out of hospital. Um, and, and I think that is because with the first, I went through all of these new strange emotions and the ambivalence of like wanting to never leave them and hold them really close and equally wanting to run a million miles away from them and just be free and escape. Um, and all of those contradictory feelings that, um, are being bored by your child, <laughs> all of these things, it takes a long time to get used to them. Yeah, um, I think that that's not permissible. You can be bored by films, you can be bored by Netflix, but you can't be bored by your child, which is 
way more boring than Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) No, I've got to say, I totally agree. And, you know, this idea that if you, if we just prepare women for the sort of wonderful, happy motherhood, well, great. But then that doesn't really help those who don't experience it. And ultimately, those who find motherhood really easy aren't going to need much help. So I think it's so much better to prepare people for the worst case scenario, not necessarily fill them with lots of horror stories, but say, if your child has reflux, these are the symptoms, this is what you do. And this is, you know, have to have to understand, if you end up having a traumatic birth, which does occasionally happen, and it's not your fault, doesn't mean that you didn't do enough hypnobirthing, you didn't want the birth you wanted enough. You know, this is how you diagnose it. And this is where you can go to have mm. help. I think that's much better. And then the people that don't end up having a traumatic birth, at least know that, you know, had they experienced that, they could have dealt with it. But also, dare I say, being able to support people who have experienced that in, in a better way. Exactly. And that's that's why I wrote this book, Afterbirth, because I felt like we have all those manuals for uh, your baby. Like if your baby has reflux or, or you, well, you also have the healthcare support. You have like a health visitor who's constantly checking and giving you loads of advice. And there is no one for the mum. There's no one coming and checking your stitches or um, asking how um yeah how you're you're healing and and or how your pelvic floor is or how your head is and um and so I felt like yeah we someone needs to write this book that has everything in one place that covers it all so that you can turn to and yeah it's just yeah and that acknowledgement too that your baby absolutely relies on you their mother you know and if you're stressed or exhausted or depressed or traumatized or have PTSD you know, a lot of parents think, oh, it's just as long as my baby's fed. But if you're seriously traumatized, that is going to have an impact on your baby. And my sister's a, a GP and she says, you know, with postnatal depression, very often it's undiagnosed. And she sees women whose children are 10 years old and they've been depressed for 10 years for that really formative part of their child's life. And, you know, yes, there's a huge impact on the mother, but there's also an equally huge impact on the child. So, you know, we're almost so focused on our children that we're not because we forget that we are that linchpin in terms of their, you know, their their, their confidence and learning how to navigate the world. And if we're not happy, if we're, you know, dealing with big things, then that is going to have a huge impact on them. So I think I'm mm. a big believer in putting yourself actually first, because actually by doing that, you're putting your baby first. Yeah, exactly. It's like so. Trauma has symptoms that are very uh, clearly defined, and think, and they include things like getting angry more quickly, or getting more stressed, struggling with sleep, and these these are things that for a new mum are really hard to bear on top of on top of the normal lack of sleep and the normal stress. Um, and I think it also uh, can really affect your relationship with your partner um, and. Yeah, and, and come out later with postnatal depression or anxiety. Um, so, yeah, I think with with my second one, it felt like a responsibility to my son to try and um, work through it and make and process process what had happened in a healthy way. Um, and not least because I don't know, my first son was born. In, he was he was very robust. He uh, is like big for his his year. He's he's born in September, so he'll always be the oldest. And I I had this fear that maybe because of my birth experience with the second, I would somehow treat him differently or feel differently about him. And and I'm not sure that's actually the case, but it was a sort of semi irrational fear, and I I just wanted to make sure that wasn't the case. Um, and uh, yeah, and I knew that by 
looking out for myself at that point, I could perhaps do that. Um, but then there's, there's, I think there's a risk that we start to sort of make it another thing that new mums have got to do. Um, and so I, I think we've got to balance it by not, not making it into putting pressure on women to have to, again, be perfect in how they look after themselves. I think it's more, yeah, it's a general acknowledgement of good enough yeah exactly good enough in every sense yeah um just um would you has has your birth experience put you off having more children or was that (laughs) in the pipeline how do you how would you feel about being pregnant and giving birth again uh actually fine um i Yes, so I think that speaks to the uh, success of the EMDR treatment. Um, I actually enjoyed labour um, in a weird way until the se- until the, the end of the second time round when I suddenly felt deeply unsafe. But um, until that point, I'd had two quite enjoyable labours, um, and uh, I would happily do it again. My husband, however, <laughs> I think might put up a bit of a fight. So uh, I'm I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's really good that's really good do you think you can give birth again in the same environment in the same no 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 I can't quite go that far I would be um in a hospital and it's not it's not that I I don't think home birth is now um I haven't changed my views on a home birth I don't think I just think that the systems that are in place are in place for a reason and so the midwives have to abide by them basically and be there I don't know it's hard it's a really hard one my husband thinks that if the midwives sorry my husband thinks that if we'd gone for a hospital birth it might have been even worse because he reckons I could have given birth like on the roadside um because it the baby came so quickly towards the end um in which case yeah it could be a very different situation so who knows I think the other thing is like every birth is different every situation is unique there's no point in going back over what could have been because yeah what could have been could have been worse it could who knows it's just yeah it is what it is well well, Jessica it's been a real um, pleasure chatting to you thank you so much for your honesty your book uh, Afterbirth is it really echoes that same honesty Um, we've veered off a little sort of off track but actually I think um, Jessica's honesty and attention to detail really um, shines through in the book It's it's a fantastic book I think it's a real kind of manual for for everyone giving birth um and so such an important topic for just women and also their families and partners to understand so afterbirth by jessica hatchamore is available from all good bookshops i highly recommend it and thank you for writing such a great book and thank you so much for being so honest with uh, me today about your experiences thank you so much marina it's been a pleasure And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.vogel. But in the meantime, from Jessica and me, thanks for listening and goodbye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. 
Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.